Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, it's Friday, everybody. And here we are again with another State of the Bills South Sports and Stuff podcast. My goal earlier this week when I started doing these was to have one every day to supplement the articles I'm writing. And here we are on a Friday. Now, the first one I did was on Tuesday. It was a State of the Bills quarterback. Then on Wednesday, I did running back. Thursday, tight end, and now here we are on Friday, and I'm talking wide receiver, and it's basically a day after each article comes out. So I write the article, it's out there for you to read, and then I do the podcast, and I kind of go over everything I write, but with some more in-depth thoughts and then some other things. So that's exactly what we're going to do today, and it's wide receivers, and there's a lot there as far as wide receivers. So uh, I know that usually I try to keep these to about 25 to 30 minutes. Hopefully I can do that here. Uh, So we'll kind of go through everything as efficiently as possible, but because there's so much going on at wide receiver, you know, hopefully I can get it all in, in that time frame. I don't want you to have to sit here and listen for an hour or an hour and 15 minutes or, or something like that. Plus I'd actually like to get to a couple other things at the end, which is includes my Super Bowl pick and a couple of just other fun things that I wanted to get to here before this week is out. Also, as I do this yesterday, if you listened to the podcast yesterday and hopefully you're listening to all of them, downloading them, subscribing, Sal Sports and stuff, giving some nice comments, <laughs> iTunes, WGR site, whatever. Uh, if you listened, you remember that I talked about the windscreen on my mic and how it prevents from like popping the peas. And it's a windscreen because it prevents the wind from, you know, affecting the sound when you talk. But speaking of wind, I'm sitting here in my house and man, the wind is nasty today. It is just blowing everywhere outside. We're going to have some really uh, big snow coming lake effect snow. I live in the city. I'm more on the Northern side. Uh, definitely not. I'm more, I'm in like West side of the city, but more like Northwest basically, I guess you'd say. Um, but it's not going to be maybe as bad here as it will be in Southern Metro area, but it could be because that lake effect, you never know which way it goes, but I could tell you this, the wind is crazy. You might hear that. You also might hear my dog, Roxy. She's been walking around on my hardwood floors. And I think that the wind is kind of getting to her a little bit because she's been walking around, going back and forth. So if you hear some tap, tap, tap on the hardwood floor, that's just Ro- Roxy walking around. I think she, maybe she just doesn't like the podcast or she's worried what the bills will do at wide receiver. So uh, let's start there, shall we? Let's talk about wide receiver and what's going on with the bills because right now they have eight players under contract for 2021. They have two more players who are scheduled to become unrestricted free agents. But before we get into the actual names, I want you to think back to 2017. 
four seasons ago. Now, that's a notable season because it was Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott's first year together in Buffalo. There's Roxy here. I don't know if you can hear her walking there, but there she is. It was their first season together in Buffalo. And the team's leading receivers that season were a running back, LaShawn McCoy, who had 59 catches, and Charles Clay, a tight end, who had 49 catches. Their top wideout, statistically, was Deontay Thompson. Remember him? Zay Jones, Jordan Matthews, they were on that team. None of them had more than 27 catches. Think about that. In 2017, the Bills did not have a wide receiver that had more than 27 catches. It's pretty incredible, especially considering that team actually made the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, they did it with good defense, some bounces. They got some scores. Now, they did actually trade for Kelvin Benjamin that year, but let's be honest, he did nothing. He was even on the team the following year, but he did nothing again. Uh, they tried to inject some life into that receiving core, and they tried to you know do what they could to make the playoffs. They did, but it wasn't because of Kelvin Benjamin. Although I will say, he did catch a touchdown pass in that snow game, the blizzard in 2017, and that was a, a big catch and a big play uh, that the Bills needed. The following year, they did have rookie Robert Foster, and this was in 2018, and he had a very nice second half, one of the best second halves in the entire NFL. Uh, but that didn't last very long, and he didn't even make the team really uh, the following year. He's, he's been basically just a guy that's been you know on the practice squad, and then he was released, and now he's not even on the team anymore. But th the point is, you go back to 2017 and how bad that – receiving core was, I would argue they were the worst receiving core in the NFL in 2017. And then in 2018, they weren't that much better, even with the infusion of Robert Foster, who had a, a really good year. You fast forward just two years later, and I think the exact opposite is true. In 2020, we could argue that the Bills actually have the best wide receiver depth in the entire NFL when you talk about their top four. And they are obviously Stephon Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis. They actually were second in the NFL because of this in their usage of 10 personnel. 10 personnel is a one and a zero, meaning one running back, zero tight ends. And because there's five eligible players, that leaves four wide receivers. So if you want to always wonder why and how you know personnel numbering works, well, you always have to subtract from five. There's always five eligible players outside of the quarterback. So if it's 10 and running back number always comes first. 10 is one running back, no tight ends. If it was 12 personnel, it'd be one running back, two tight ends. So that's three. You subtract it from five eligible, that leaves two wide receivers, right? So basically that's the way it is. If you really want to think of it a, a more simplistic way, 10 personnel would be a one zero four because you have to add on how many make five at the end to get to how many receivers. And the Bills led the league, or I'm sorry, they were second in the league to only Arizona with the second most amount of you know, running 10 personnel this year. So they obviously like to spread the field sideline to sideline. There's two ways to spread a field. One is vertically having guys go deep. Another is horizontally sideline to sideline. And the bills really like to do that. And they actually, you know, they can obviously throw deep as well, but they really believed in spreading the field sideline to sideline and stretching a defense out. And that's where Isaiah McKenzie came in as well. He was the fifth man outside of the top four. He had a nice little role for himself. He carved out, but he was generally a guy that they would use mostly, you know, if they didn't have one of those other guys available, he would get more snaps. Now, obviously, the wide receiver group starts with Stefan Diggs. And he showed up after a massive trade that, you know, Bean sent a first-round pick to the Minnesota Vikings, Brandon Bean, and then some. And the Bills get Stefan Diggs back. A lot of people said that was even too much. Well, guess what? It wasn't. He proved that to be the case. He goes out and leads the league in both catches with 127 and yards with 1,535. 
He was named a first-team All-Pro, very deservingly so. And he is under contract for three more seasons. He's only 27 years old, so the Bills are set at their number one wideout, no doubt, with Stephon Diggs. Now, after that, things become a little bit more fuzzy, especially because we have to start talking about John Brown. He is under contract for next season, but that contract, he's scheduled to count for over $9.5 million against the salary cap. And because of injury concerns that he had this year, maybe I guess you could say some in his career. I mean, he's he hasn't missed a ton of games, but it seems like he's playing hurt quite a bit, especially this year that happened as well. Um, you know, th- this is a conversation that's got to happen because if the Bills were to release John Brown, they would save close to $8 million on the salary cap. They'd have one and a half or a little bit more than that, $1.6 million of dead cap money. And I know that sounds enticing and they probably should do it, to be honest with you. I mean, here's a guy that had 33 catches for 458 yards. Uh, He did miss some games this year because of injuries. Uh, He was hobbled a lot. He really didn't make the kind of impact I thought people, you know, we all thought he'd make for most of the year. But as much as I said, that sounds enticing and maybe they should do it, especially by the way, knowing Gabe Davis is going into his second year and could be a replacement. I'll get to him in a second. One thing you just have to remember though is, you know, Brown does offer some things that this team really likes and needs. Number one, he has true top end speed to take the top off the defense. But it's one thing to have that. Some guys are just super fast. Brown's also a great route runner. He has great hands. He's an, he's a consummate professional. He shows up to work every day. He fits exactly the kind of player the Bills want. DNA, on and off the field. So I would say this. Yes, it's probably more you know, business sense. It makes a lot more sense to release John Brown and save the money. But he is the type of player that he's, he's tougher to replace when you do that. You have to think about things like that when you start, you know, thinking about guys who you want to replace. And I don't really know. I think the Bills want to do that. They may be forced to. Their hand may be forced to because of the money. Maybe there's a restructure down the road. So we'll see that. It, it, what I'm trying to say is replacing a guy like that goes beyond the money, right? And, and, and we'll see how this plays out. But right now, he is the number two. He is under contract for next year, one more year on his deal after he signed the free agent deal a couple of years ago. Uh, Davis talking about him, Gabriel Davis, a fantastic rookie season from the very first week of training camp. I remember this guy was just sensational. I think it was the second day Hodgins, Isaiah Hodgins. I'll talk about in a little while. I remember seeing him the first day and going, Oh yeah, he looked really good. But then the second day and then every day after that, it was Gabriel Davis, Gabriel Davis or Gabe Davis. I think he said his mom called him Gabriel, but you know, it's Gabe or Gabriel. However, we want to say it. I think, I guess Gabriel, because that's how his mom called him, but <laughs> he said he didn't he didn't really care either way, I guess. But either way, Gabe slash Gabriel Davis, he was just terrific from the jump at training camp. And he he looked the part of an NFL wide receiver. Uh, he played the part during training camp, especially when he got the ball in his hands. He's big. He's got speed. It's not you know, John Brown speed, but he's he's fast. He can run. He's really good with the ball in his hands. Someone said to me at training camp when we were watching him, and I can't remember who it was, but this was a great line. They said, Gabriel Davis looks like what everyone hoped Duke Williams would be. I think that was a great way to look at it. And really, that's kind of what he became. Let me give you some numbers on Gabriel Davis, okay? Pretty interesting. Through his first eight games, through the team's first eight games, he played all 16. Through the team's first eight games, he caught 15 passes for 205 yards. Not bad, rookie. Average 13.67 yards a catch, two touchdowns. Over their next eight games, the second half of the season, Gabriel Davis, 20 catches, 
394 yards, 19.7 yards per catch, five TDs. He is the only wide receiver in the entire NFL. I don't care if you're talking rookie, tenure veteran, whatever, to have at least 20 catches and average over 19 yards a catch through the second half of the season. That's amazing. He's in for a bigger role next year. It just remains to be seen just how big of a role. And if that includes moving into John Brown's spot because of what I just said. He also, by the way, Gabriel Davis, had two terrific ballet toe-tap style catches against the Indianapolis Colts in that first you know, wild card game uh, that we all remember. So yeah, it's nice to have Gabriel Davis. We'll see exactly how his role expands, but he certainly was very, very good in the second half of the season. He was, he was injured. He kind of got banged up in early on, I think, in the Ravens game. And then there was question of, and he didn't really do much. They went to him early. He, I'd say he dropped a pass. Uh, it wasn't an easy catch, but you know, in the end zone there, a, a little slant pattern early on. And then he, there was a lot of questions if he'd play in the AFC Championship. He did, but he was a non-factor there. So you know, I'm not saying give him a pass necessarily, but obviously he was banged up. Um, you know, and I'm sure that you know the Chiefs' game plan and everything that went down. We we've talked about you know rehashed that game a lot, but you know as far as Gabriel Davis is concerned, really looking forward to seeing what he can build on in year number two in this offense. Cole Beasley, <laughs> it was revealed by him after the season that he played on a broken fibula throughout the playoffs, a broken leg. He injured it in the Monday night win against the Patriots in Week 16. Yet. Despite playing on a broken leg, <laughs> he went out in those three playoff games. And one, he was actually shut out in one playoff game. But the other two, I think it was the first one and in, in the third one, uh, Indian Kansas City, 14 catches, 145 yards on a broken leg, by the way. <laughs> in the regular season, despite missing the final game because of that broken leg when it just happened the week before, he had a career year. He caught 82 balls for 967 yards. He had a legitimate look at his first 1,000-yard season if he had played in that Week 17 finale against the Dolphins. So uh, Beasley's going to be back. He'll be fine. He said it's nothing's going to really keep him from the offseason and working and things like that. I mean, the guy just played through the broken leg. I mean, come on. I, I play in a men's adult flag football league. Sometimes I can't walk up the stairs after playing in a game because I'm just sore. This guy played through a broken leg. Are you kidding me? These football players, are professional athletes as a whole, are just incredible. Some of the things that we learn about, they play through and have to uh, overcome, I guess. But physically, Cole Beasley, he's not the biggest guy either, right? Uh, he's got guys coming at him, big guys tackling him. And, you know, the way he has to cut from his position, the slot receiver, to be able to do that is pretty incredible. He's still under contract for two more years. He fits this offense perfectly. I think he'd fit almost any offense perfectly, actually, uh, for what an offense would need in a slot receiver. Speaking of slot receivers, this will be... Isaiah McKenzie's second straight offseason of being a free agent. Last year, he was scheduled to be a restricted free agent, but the Bills did give him a qualifying offer. So how that works is when you're a restricted free agent, uh, the team, there's a set level of, no, of basically um, number, uh, contract, amount that you can offer your restricted free agent by a certain date that allows you to retain the rights. And that number is determined basically by what round you were drafted in and what round you want as compensation in return. So, for example, this is going to happen again this year, but not with Isaiah McKenzie, with other restricted free agents. But last year, in order for the Bills to keep Isaiah McKenzie, the minimum offer they could to, to retain his rights would have been over $2 million. 
that's just too much for a guy like Isaiah McKenzie. And that's because um, he was drafted, I believe, in the fifth round uh, when he came out uh, by the Denver Broncos. But they, the Bills, because of that, because of the route he was drafted in, the Bills would have received that in compensation if another team had signed him. So the Bills could sign him the $2 million deal. Another team could offer him something else. He goes there, or he could offer him the $2 million. A team offers him something on top of that. He goes there. The Bills let him go. They get the compensation. But I think the Bills knew no team's going to offer him more than that $2 million anyway. So the Bills aren't going to pay that. So they took their chance last year, and they said, all right, you know, we're going to not offer him that. We're going to let him become an unrestricted free agent. Therefore, he can he can go anywhere and sign for anything, but we're going to hope to get him back at a lesser rate. And that's exactly what happened with Isaiah McKenzie. I hope I explained all of that right. Now, the way it works, too, you could also offer a guy more money, and those numbers are to be, to be determined, probably over $3 million if you want a second-round uh, compensation back from a team. Or a first-round compensation is like going to be over $5 million for restricted free agents. The Bills won't have any guys like that this year for restricted free agents. But it's just very expensive sometimes to keep some of your restricted free agents. Um, I guess Levi Wallace could be maybe a, like a second-round tender. I don't think so. We'll get into him when we do the defense, but he'll be a restricted free agent. Um, as far as Isaiah McKenzie is concerned, though, the bottom line is, hope I didn't confuse you, the Bills had him as a restricted free agent last year and said, it's too much money to retain his rights. Let's just let him become an unrestricted free agent, and then we'll resign him. And that's exactly what they did. So they brought him back, and it was a team-friendly one-year deal for less than a million dollars against the cap. I mean, they saved over a million dollars basically by doing it the way they did, which was smart. And then on the field, he was a good option to have, a versatile receiver. He could threaten a defense in a, a number of different ways. Now, he was used on a lot of jet sweeps, okay, when he runs in motion across the formation. But because when Josh Allen flipped it to him in front, they weren't counted as handoffs, which a lot of times when you hear jet sweep, it's actually a handoff. It was a pass because it went forward on a little toss. So that's why you see the numbers more for receptions than runs, even though he did have some runs. He finished with 30 catches, 282 yards, five touchdowns. It was the, the, the best season of his career in each category. I've often joked, actually, on the air lately that what the Bills need is to contend with a team like Kansas City is Isaiah McKenzie with a turbo button. <laughs> they need speed, but the, the kind that Isaiah brings, quick twitch speed, fast off the line of scrimmage, fast with your the ball in your hands. Think Tyree Kill. Think me, Cole Hardman. Guys like that with Kansas City. That's who they are. The Bills have some top-end speed with a guy like John Brown. Yeah, they have other guys that can run too but they need more of that other kind of speed. And I think that's exactly what Isaiah McKenzie offers, even though he's not, he's not the guy. He's a nice player to have, but he's not a hardman, and he's not a Tyree Kill, of course, right? They need a better version of him. That doesn't mean I would be opposed to bringing him back again. He'd be a great fit for the, for the Bills. But there are two main issues with that. Number one, how much are they willing to pay for a part-time player? I mean, if you can get him back again for the same type of deal, great. But I would think other teams might see what he did this year and said, hmm, we could put that in our offense. And that might be a little bit more expensive this year if you have to go against other teams. And I wouldn't recommend the Bills getting into a bidding war for Isaiah McKenzie. But the other issue is, does Isaiah McKenzie himself want a bigger role? You know, he has a say in this. And will he look elsewhere to get that role? So, you know, he's an unrestricted free agent. We'll see how all of that plays out. Speaking of unrestricted free agents, if you listen to me at all on WGR over the past six months, you know I am a big Andre Roberts fan, right? I mean, come on. I'm the guy that says, keep Andre Roberts. He's really good at what he does. No doubt about that. And I think I've been proven right because of the fact that he had another great year 
He was a, a, a another, he, he earned all pro honors again. Uh, he's very valuable for what he does, specifically as a return man. I understand he does not help as much in the wide receiver category. But for me, it's always been more about, it's not just about Andre Roberts. It's not that I, oh my God, you know, no matter what, just keep a guy like Andre Roberts. It's for a team that's in contention for a conference championship. You know, this is not, the Bills this past year were not a team that, to me, needed to go with youth at certain positions to get, you know, they're not rebuilding. When you have a chance to have elite players at any position, and especially when you're in contention for a conference championship and a Super Bowl, you go out and do that. Like, you're, it's your window. Go out and try to win. Don't just forego those players in the name of development of others. So that's why I've always been a big fan of them keeping Andre Roberts as a return man. And again, he had a great year, but I'm going to say this. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent, and I am certainly not beholden to making sure that he's back on this roster next year, especially given some of the salary cap restraints that you know they might be facing. He doesn't offer much as a wide receiver, like I said, and if they can get him back in like a veteran minimum contract, now he's been in the league long enough where that's that's still you know more pricey than if you're getting a guy, a younger guy, but he's still really good at what he does. You know, it doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on those tires. I think he's what 32 years old, so you know we'll see how he feels about everything. I think I'm sure he wants to play. I know that, but I mean about, you know, uh, if he wants to try and maximize and get more money because maybe the bills just aren't willing to go any higher, but who knows if it's even out there for him, a guy like that to me, there's no need to overspend on him. They may even be able to use McKenzie in that spot. We saw how good he was in that Miami game that returned for a touchdown. He is a little more inconsistent. He's not, he's not Andre Roberts from game one through 16, but he can certainly give you, um, a really dynamic, you know, return man in certain spots. So maybe that's something they look into to say, Hey, we want to keep Isaiah. We'll make sure that we offer him a little bit more to do that. And, you know, we can move on from Andre Roberts. I'm not opposed to Andre Roberts coming back at all. I like him. I think that what he does is valuable, but if the bills were to move on, that's fine too, because I think the salary cap might, you know, have something to say about that. Let's talk about Duke Williams. Aren't we always talking about Duke Williams? I might get more mentions. Two guys show up in my mentions on Twitter at Sal Sports, by the way, on my feed, than anybody else. Duke Williams and Christian Wade. I'm not kidding you. I mean, we talked about Wade with the running backs. I, I sorted through his situation. But Duke Williams has just been, there's like a phenomena for Bills fans over the last few years. Let's talk about him going into this year and a little bit of, you know, what 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 he's been through and what he means. He was signed to a future reserve deal when the season ended. That means two things. Number one, a really hardworking guy who has enough talent to make an NFL roster is going to be back at training camp. And I will tell you, Duke Williams works really hard. Every time I watch him out there, I'm really impressed with just how hard he grinds and goes. He's going to be pushing for a spot. Second, as I just said, my Twitter mentions are going to be filled with people wondering why he's not getting more of a chance. And as I always respond to people on Twitter when they ask me that, the guy gets a chance every day. He's been getting a chance every day for the last two years. He's been on the roster or practice squad for two years now. If the coaches felt they saw enough in him to give them a better chance to win than somebody else, he'd be on the active roster playing over that person. They're not trying to not win. But he does push everyone around him to be better every day because of how hard he goes. He can. He definitely makes like some sensational grabs here and there that we get on video and you see from training camp. And you know that's been out there on my Twitter or other people who out there uh, filming and things like that. He just doesn't have a broad enough skill set to make a big enough difference over a season. You know, he's not overly fast. Yeah, he's bigger. He's not, he's not Randy Moss tall, right? 
Um, he's not switching to tight end, by the way. I don't know what this fascination is with people who want guys to switch positions. I, I just got this again today. Someone asked me if Jake Kumaro can switch to tight end. No, Jake Kumaro's not a tight end, and neither is Duke Williams. He he's a professional, he's been a professional football player in the CFL and NFL for five years now. And to my knowledge, he's never been a tight end. I don't think he's ever lined up in an actual three-point stance and had to down block a defensive lineman. He's a wide receiver. That's what he is. He's either going to make it as a wide receiver or he's not. He has another chance to make it at camp next year. But I think that, you know, he's still facing an uphill battle because he, to me, is going against two other guys that probably go into camp with a little bit more of a leg up on him. And number one is Jake Kumaro. If you're looking for a taller wide receiver, Kumaro may be a better option than Williams. And by the way, he's not switching to tight end. He's 210 pounds. I mean, that just can't happen. He did play six games this year for the Bills mostly on special teams. So we know at least that he has that added dimension. He did have one ball thrown his way. Remember that one? 22-yard touchdown in a post pattern at the Denver Broncos. He has experience. He played with the Green Bay Packers for two seasons. Aaron Rodgers reportedly really liked him, but then they still moved on. The Bills claimed him. They put him on the practice squad. They put him on the active roster when John Brown was on injured reserve, but then when Brown came off injured reserve, they needed the spot. So they released him thinking they were going to get him back in the practice squad after he cleared waivers, but suddenly here come the New Orleans Saints. They put a claim on Kumaro. They snapped, snatched him up before that could happen. And a few weeks later, though, so the Bills don't get him back. He's on the Saints. You're like, come on. Like, we thought we had this guy. And then, you know, it looked like the Bills might need him as they went to the playoffs and guys were banged up. They couldn't have him. He's on the Saints. But suddenly, the Saints release him. The Bills do pick him up again, put him on the practice squad, it was not in time for him to even play in that Kansas City game. It was right after the season. They signed him to a future reserve deal, so he's going to have a legitimate shot to make the roster out of training camp next season. I absolutely would not you know, uh, bet against it. I, I think he has a real good shot to be on this roster next season, especially considering we saw that he played like 35 to 50% of special team snaps when he actually was active for certain games this year. You got Williams, you got Kumaro, and you got Isaiah Hodgins who basically got a redshirt year in 2020. The Bills drafted him in the sixth round last year. They placed him on injured reserve right after final cuts because if they do it before final cuts, you know, he's out for the year. You don't want to do that. You want to make sure that you have an option to bring him back. They kept him. Then they put him on IR. He stayed on IR most of the season. He actually did practice with the team for a couple of weeks towards the end of the season, but he was never actually activated off IR. Now, body-wise, he's very similar to Kumaro. They're both six foot four and about 210 pounds. He's not moving to tight end either, by the way, if anybody asks. So he's going to get a start over next season. Like I said, it's like a redshirt year in college, basically. But he's going to have the added benefit of one full year of knowing the system. He's going to make this competitive. This is going to be really interesting. I'm not saying only one can make it. But to me, right now, it looks like it's Duke Williams, Jake Kumaro, Isaiah Hodgins. Could be one of those, could be two of them. I can't see all three making the roster next year, but I think they're all kind of in the same boat fighting with each other as it stands right now. Uh, the Bills, too, have, do have another guy named Tanner Gentry on the roster. Nothing too notable about him other than he was teammates with Josh Allen at Wyoming, and he did lead their team and their entire Mountain West Conference, by the way, in receiving yards back in 2016, Josh's uh, junior year. He had 1,326 yards. And he had 14 touchdowns, with also led the conference, which is really good, obviously. And he does have some NFL experience. He played in four games with the Bears in 2017, caught three passes for 35 yards, signed a future reserve deal with the Bills just before the playoffs began. But 
to me, he's the last guy on the depth chart right now, faces an uphill battle uh, to make the team next season. But good for him. You know, he'll get his shot. So overall, I think, you know, when you look at the wide receiver core, you could point to somebody else who's pulling the trigger with them, and that is Brian Dayball, and a huge benefit for the Bills having him return as offensive coordinator. They morphed into a pass-first attack in 2020. It paid huge dividends. Allen played in an MVP-type level. Diggs set records. Uh, the offense finished with over 31 points a game, second in the NFL. And to me, there's no reason to expect that that philosophy like, not only doesn't change from Brian Dable, but the team is able to build even more upon it with everyone coming back, like Josh Allen and all these receivers we talk about. But how do you build more on it? How do you do that? More speed, especially, as I said, off the line of scrimmage, probably something they're going to want to look at, getting guys, you know, dynamic playmakers with the ball in their hands, things like that. Uh, that could come in the form of the draft. We've seen that. Miko Hardman was a second-round pick. Boom. You know, right away, gets inserted into that incredible Kansas City Chiefs offense. We could see that. Uh, could come through free agency. We'll see who's out there. Or even a trade. And we know Brandon Bean is not shy about, you know, doing something like that. So there are definitely plenty of choices that have to be made, starting with John Brown, but also plenty of options, I think, to explore. All right, so we're done with the wide receivers. Check it out. I wrote a lot of what I just said I actually wrote, but this was pretty much even more so. So I guess you don't have a reason to read it, but go check it out. I need the clicks anyway. All right, so that's wide receivers. I'm going to do offensive line, write about them on Friday here today after I'm done doing this podcast, and then I'll do the podcast for offensive line, you know, probably this weekend and and put it up. Uh, but that would take care of the offense then because we have quarterback, running back, tight end, wide receiver here, offensive line. Then next week I'll get into the defense. Let's talk about Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Super Bowl LV 55, the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. I was on with Howard and Jeremy this morning. Howard asked me, you know, what's the biggest edge for each team? And I said, well, for Kansas City, to me, it is their wide receivers, especially if Sammy Watkins is able to play. Uh, them going against a Bucs secondary, which is pretty much about average, maybe not even. Uh, they can make some plays, but I think that's where the Chiefs have the biggest edge, especially considering the Chiefs aren't really going to be able to run the ball too well against a really good Buccaneers front. They were the number one defense in the league against the run last year, and Vita Vey is going to play their big defensive tackle. So, you know, that's probably out the window. And to me, it's get the ball in those guys' hands because they're going to have they're going to have a nice pass rush. The Bucs are, and you know what the Chiefs did and what they can do well, and where I think they have an advantage: get the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, get it to those playmakers, and let them do work. And I think that's going to be the Chiefs' overall game plan and philosophy. For the Buccaneers, it's actually that, their front seven. To me, that's where they can do something. If they can get to Patrick Mahomes, and you know Mahomes can't just throw it after you know, 0.5 seconds every time he gets the ball. If they can get to him a little bit, if they can get a pass rush going on him, and they have an ability to do that. They have a very good front. They have a very good um, stout run defense, but also some guys who can come off uh, and get to the quarterback. I, I think that that is their biggest edge, but especially because the Chiefs are really banged up on the offensive line. They're starting to tackles are out. They only have one player that's playing and is an original position when the season started. Uh, they're really doing the offensive line shuffle. So, yeah, I, I think that that's going to be something for them. Again, what's going to happen because of that? Well, the Bucs are going to try and tee off. The Chiefs are going to try and get the ball out of Mahomes' hands quickly, get it to their playmakers. So, to me, that's exactly where this game lies. Can the Chiefs do that? Can the Buccaneers disrupt that? I think that's how this goes. You know, the more I think about it, the more I'm starting to like the Buccaneers because of the Chiefs' issues on offensive line. But at the end of the day, 
I just think weapons win. And the Chiefs have so many weapons that I don't think the Buccaneers can keep up. So I'm going to pick the Chiefs to win. And it's probably a higher scoring game. Somewhere make 35-30, something like that maybe. Um, you know, that's, that's really high scoring, I guess. Maybe a little bit lower than that. But I think it's like a three, four point game. Maybe a touchdown at most. I like the Chiefs to win. I just don't think the Buccaneers can keep up with them. Um, and, you know, then Patrick Mahomes gets his second ring before, you know what, his fourth year in the league. Pretty incredible after his fourth year in the league. And Tom Brady, you know, I know there's this hatred for Tom Brady in Buffalo. I'm not there with a lot of you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know what he did to the Bills. And, but this is not Tom Brady with the Patriots anymore. You know, Tom Brady's close to my age. And as a guy who's played a lot of sports and still tries to play a lot of sports and still tries to be competitive, I have so much respect for a guy that age doing what he's doing at that level. It's incredible. So I, I don't want Tom Brady to win. I don't want Patrick Mahomes to win. I just kind of don't care who wins, to be honest with you. And it's I've seen that movie before. If Brady wins, it's like, okay, you know, good for him. Just lots of respect for him to still do this. It's pretty incredible what he's doing. If Mahomes wins, there's some scar tissue from a couple of weeks ago, you know, at Kansas City with the Bills. And it's like, come on, you know. We got to see this, right? You know, here's this team. The Bills have to get over in the AFC for years to come. So I'm not like rooting actively against either team. I'm certainly not rooting actively for either team. I'm just going to watch the game. I'm going to enjoy it. And whichever team wins, I'll just kind of look at it like I'm kind of watching a movie that I don't really love and just kind of have to back away from and go, all right, well, let's get on to 2021. And that's what we'll do. Hey, uh, some really fun stuff real quick I wanted to talk to you about before I, I leave here. Uh, speaking of the Super Bowl, this is the 35 an year anniversary of the Super Bowl shuffle. <laughs> and some of you are a lot, lot younger listening to this who have no idea what I'm talking about. But it got me down a rabbit hole on YouTube and I tweeted about this. Go find it at Sal Sports. I tweeted on uh, Friday morning, right around, right before I did this. So what, 9, 9.30, somewhere in there. Go check these tweets out. Super Bowl shuffle uh, is the Bears iconic video they did before they played in Super Bowl 25 against the New England Patriots. And it's Refrigerator Perry and Walter Payton and Jim McMahon and uh, Mike Singletary. It's awesome. It still stands today. It's great. But then the Patriots and their fans and their team did a very, very weird, cheesy video called The Patriots and We. I, I linked it. It's out there. You have to go watch it. It literally starts with like a, a newscaster holding a fake gun to a bear, like a, not a real bear, a uh, stuffed animal bear. There's some kind of questionable lyrics in there as you, you listen to it. And then there's actual players like Craig James is in there for the Patriots who played for him. He was a running back who says like, we'll be, we'll bury the bears. Just wait and see. And another one, a player says, we'll beat the bears a hundred to three. Can you imagine today any team, any player putting that out there before playing in the Super Bowl? that they're going to beat the other team 100 to three, that they'll bury the other team. Even in today's world of social media, that just would not happen. You cannot see that happening. So I put that out there and then other people started showing me other videos that I had no idea even existed. And I mean, this is like my wheelhouse. I, I, I know all the lyrics. I'm not kidding you to the Super Bowl shuffle. Like I literally could recite them right now. This is my wheelhouse. And yet I did not know there was this other video called Ramit by the LA Rams in the early eighties with like Eric Dickerson and some others. Yeah. It's called Ram it. And there's a lot of like sexual innuendos in there. I mean, there's literally a line. Can I get to this? I want to say, show you what this line is again. It was one of the players. He says, I like to Ram it. As you can see, nobody likes ramming more than me. And that's like tame compared to some of the other things go watch it. But the, the choreography is amazing. These guys worked on this. 
somebody like really worked with these Rams players on this and the cheerleaders are there. It's at the Coliseum. It's just incredible. It's, it's better than the Patriots and we it's cringy and it's weird. And I was watching it and my wife came down the stairs and she said, it sounds like you're watching and listening to a Richard Simmons workout video. And that's exactly what it looks like and sounds like. Go watch it. Again, I linked that one. It's called Ram It from the LA Rams. And then another, uh, a, a Dolphins fan who follows me, uh, DJ, and DJ is, uh, he's a Dolphins fan, but he's, I always have good interactions with him. It's really good. And he said, well, here's one for you too. Another gem. It's the Miami Dolphins singing, can't touch this. I mean, one day, so you got to see all this stuff. I tweeted it all out. One day there's going to be a 30 for 30 or another documentary on all of these 1980s team made music videos. They're incredible. Go watch it. Super Bowl shuffle, Patriots and we ram it. Dolphins singing can't touch this. Someone asked me if the Bills had done something like this. They did not during the Super Bowl years, but they do do the 12 days at Christmas every once in a while. They did one this year, and that's pretty cool. All right, finally. So I ran across this Twitter account, and I really think there's a really good case to be made, and someone might do an investigative report on this, that this Twitter account is actually either Jack Easterby, who is like the, what is he, the Titans president? I'm sorry, not Titans, Texans. What is he, president? He's not general manager now. He's like a vice president. He's a guy that's in charge. He's 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 kind of out there, and there's been some stories about him and, you know, some uh, things written and deep digging deep into his, you know, rise to power. Go check it out. You know, Jenny Vrentis wrote it, S.I., but this Twitter account is either him or, to me, their GM, Nick Casario. It's like a burner account for one of them. I'm not kidding you. The Twitter account is at John C. Prepper 98. I want you to go read some of the things. You got to click on the Twitter account, and then you got to click on twits, tweets and replies. I, either, either it's a burner account for one of these guys, or it's an account for someone who is very close to one of them. It's incredible some of the oddly specific things that they talk about and reply to people about in the way and the verbiage they use. And some people said, one person pointed out that this could very well be Jack Easterby's because Jack Easterby's a minister. And John C. Prepper would mean JC, Jesus Christ, and Prepper. Like prepping you? Okay, I, I guess. And then as a few other people pointed out, Nick Casario went to John Carroll University, JC, and he graduated in 98. I guess. I think that's the deal. Maybe he graduated in 99, someone said, but the, the Twitter account is John C. Prepper, 98. And when you read some of these replies, you're like, how is this not someone who actually knows what's going on in the Texans organization? I mean, here's one. Someone basically just put out a video of Jack Easterby speaking maybe a few years ago when he was a member of the Patriots organization. And the reply is from this JC Prepper account, quote, Jack Easterby is not someone that makes his impact in public speaking. The qualities that the Texans find valuable about Jack Easterby are in his dealings with people on a personal level. Jack Easterby is very skilled at learning about and identifying people at an intimate level. That's amazing to me to have something like that. There's another one that really got me which is basically um, talking about the special teams coach that they hired 
Um, where is it? I got to find it real quick. I just want to like read through what this basically was. I, oh, maybe I can't find it here, but, um, basically it's a tweet about the, here it is. The Texans, Tom Pelissero of the NFL network tweeted out that the Texans are going to hire Frank Ross as a special teams coordinator. And this JC Prepper account tweeted back at Tom Pelissero, quote, Frank Ross, that's the guy's name they're going to hire, was a big part of why the Colts were consistently winning the margins, supporting one of the best special teams units in the NFL last year. His experience as a former scout will be an added bonus to an already impressive looking staff for David Culley and Nick Casario. Folks, this goes way beyond like defend, if like Homer fanboy defending of a franchise or person. This is weird and oddly specific. So go check it out. Again, Twitter account is at John C. Prepper 98. I think it is a burner account for either Casario or Easterby or someone very close to them. Maybe it wouldn't be a burner for that person. It would be an actual account for someone very close to them. All right. Went about 10 minutes more than I usually want to on these. But like I said, wide receiver, a lot to get to there. There was a lot to get to as well after that. And oh, yeah, I did watch a 30 for 30. The, the Al Davis against the league, 30 for 30. I don't know if you've seen this yet. Loved it. Go watch it if you get a chance. But I hated the fact that they use these fake Al and fake Pete Rosell um, characters to do some narration. I could have done without that, but I learned a lot. Amazing stuff. Lots of good history in there. It's the Al Davis versus the NFL 30 for 30. It just came out this week. Go check it out. I think if you're a, if you like like good business side dealings of football. You'll really like it. If you like football history, you'll really like it. I just didn't like the, you know, the fake Al and the fake Pete Roselle they used, but I had no idea some of the things that really went on behind the scenes between the two. When I was growing up, it was always a thing. Al and Pete Roselle, they didn't like each other. I always thought, okay, well, they're kind of nemesis you know, nemesis of each other given their positions, but it was, it was way beyond what I thought. And the Irwindale Raiders, If you don't know what that is or what that could have been, go watch it. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with another podcast as we go through the state of the bills. I also have my offensive line state of the bills posted on Friday. Thanks again. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.